Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. 17 years ago that I was here. I think it was on the 6th of June in 2006. I've known Pastor Byron, Sister Becky, Pastor Jim and his wife, and uh, a lot of people here in Andy and for many, many years. And it's a privilege and an honor for me to be standing here. I think part of the reason why I'm kind of overwhelmed this morning and I didn't think I would be. <laughs> Thank you. It's because there are some moments in our lives that are kind of seminal moments. And uh, a few months ago, one of those moments was uh, when I got a call from uh, one of my wife and I, spiritual daughters, and said, Pastor Byron wants to talk to you. He wants your number. And I think Pastor Byron is just, it's just age, you know. He forgot that he actually had the correct number in his phone. <laughs> so I said, and she says, can I give him your number? I said, yeah, go ahead. Uh, then, uh, then he texted me and said, let's, let's get together. And uh, we did. And he didn't say this in exactly these words, but this was the import of it. And I, Sister Becky had set him up to do it. Uh, he kind of said to me, yeah, I think you're enjoying your sabbatical too much. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> You need to come and, and, and preach. And in, in fact, he sent me a message after our lunch and said, if you could, knowing pretty well that I couldn't say no. Right. Do you have people like that in your life? Who, who, who kind of like say, yeah, if, if, you, you know, if you can, knowing that you can't say no. How, how, how could I say no? And uh, so it was a seminal moment for me because... Uh, there have been some, several transitions in my ministry life. And um, one of those transitions actually was the coming to, not to an end, but to a shift in our ministry in Charlotte. And it's something that I used to tell the people who used to come to Nexus Church all the time. Uh, and I would say, I'm not going to be here all the time. You know, because I knew what God had said to me when I came here as a missionary with my wife twenty five years ago, and uh, it was actually very, very clear uh, that what we were doing in Charlotte was not permanent, uh, just because of the nature of what God had put in our hearts. It was, we had, were sent to a hyper-gentrifying city. If you know Charlotte, it's a hyper-gentrifying city, Right? 
Some of the neighborhoods that we used to minister to uh, 25 years ago do not exist anymore. They don't. In fact, we lived in one called uh, Double Oaks. If you go looking for Double Oaks right now, you can't find it. It's a completely new place. So we were sent with a message to some people who were living in some of these communities. And it was a very odd message. So I used to tell some of them, buy houses in the ghetto. Buy houses in Optimist Park. And, and, they, and they used to look at me like I'm from Mars or something. Because, you know, if you want to go up, right, you don't buy a house in the ghetto. You buy a house in the suburb. But what you don't realize when you buy a house in the suburb is that you're buying it at a premium because the people who actually had those houses in the suburbs, those used to be farms. And they got those houses for next to nothing. Now they're selling it to you at a premium so that they can get some money and buy the house that you're living in in the ghetto. And put $10,000 in it, and all of a sudden it's worth 400000 That was the gospel that we were actually called, my wife and I, to preach. And people didn't listen. Uh, I remember in our church, there's only three people who did listen. You know one of them, actually. She comes here. You know Ruth? She uh, bought a house. I know she won't mind me sharing this for about $80,000. Twelve years later, she sold it for almost $400,000. Hmm? Okay. But think about the people that we used to minister to who were in those communities. Where are they now? They're not there. These things are not going to wait for you because you go to Nexus Church. Change is going to happen. And if you are not part of the transformative change agent in these communities, you'll be left behind. And then you'll be hating all people saying, oh, you know, white people, they don't like us. Oh, yeah, I'm going to say some inappropriate things here today. (laughs) Amen. Actually, I was going to start this message by saying, I'm 17 years old. I've seen some of you last saw me. So, you know, there's no energy anymore. And if I was running against somebody, he would actually call me low energy. (laughs) But it's strange when you come into an anointed pulpit, you just kind of feel the energy. Yeah, that's got something to do with what I want to share with you today. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21. Before we start, yeah, let's pray for those guys who are going to Uganda. Father God, thank you. You are such a good God. May that ministry be received and may it transform lives. May it not just be one of those mission trips, oh God, where people have just a good time, but may lives be changed and may leaders be raised through that camp for the country of Uganda, oh God. 
And may many come to the kingdom as a result. And Lord, when I say to the kingdom, it is time even for righteous leaders to be raised. Leaders that can call a whole country to you, O God. And may some of the seeds be planted at this camp in the name of Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. Protect those who will go and provide for them in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21. I'm so glad I didn't come to preach here four years ago. Or six years ago. Because at that point of transition in my ministry, I would have preached out of frustration. Because when God is telling you now to move on to the next thing, but you kind of are stuck in what you're doing, you can be very frustrated. And you can begin to lash out and stuff like that. Instead of just saying the word of God. Right? The safety for us as people of God is in the word of God. That's where the safety is. It's not in our feelings. But having said that, that doesn't mean that we should preach things which are bland and don't have a cutting edge. Because there are some people who are sitting in here today who do need to be challenged. And maybe who need to hear a little bit of frustration uh, from people that they respect. So there are times when Pastor Byron needs to be up here and be frustrated. Amen. Just to get some people thinking seriously about the changes that they need to make in their lives. There are times when he needs to come up here and be the prophet Isaiah of Isaiah 40. Because when you read Isaiah 40 verse 21, here's what it says. Do you not know? Are you looking at my face? All right. It does not say, do you not know? Isaiah 40, if you read it properly, it says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? That's the expression that goes with this kind of scripture. It's not nice. Do you not know? In the New Living Translation, the same scripture says, Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave you before the world began. And it says, Are you so ignorant? (laughs) And sometimes we need to say that to people in the church. Because people come all the time for a new word. They want something new all the time and all of that. Point number one, if you are taking notes, a new word won't necessarily fix your problem. What you need is to return 
to what you have already heard, what you have already been told. So all this hunting for a new word, hunting for somebody to say something new to you, is not, you're not going to change your life necessarily with a new word if you can't change it with what you have already heard. Is that true? So somebody needs to hear that this morning. Ecclesiastes 9.11. In the New King James Version it says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, no bread to the wise, no riches to men of understanding, no favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all, to everybody. So time and chance happened to those people that I was preaching to 25 years ago. Before the city of Charlotte hyper-gentrified, when they still had an opportunity to buy some of those houses at $30,000, Time and chance had happened to them before all these guys started moving from other cities, from New York, from Boston and California, from San Francisco, coming over here and pushing up the prices of houses. Time and chance had happened to you. But the problem was, you're so preoccupied with, oh, I, I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not as talented. I'm not as blessed. And all of that. Instead of understanding that whatever God has given you, you can leverage that in an incredible way. So the preacher here says, I returned. Now, this is not a physical returning. This is not a place that he's coming to. This is a reconsideration. I returned. I came back. I passed by here before, but I didn't see what I was supposed to see when I passed by here. And then I returned and saw under the sun. I love the way that this sentence is constructed. It doesn't say I returned under the sun and saw. It says I returned and saw under the sun. In other words, uh, if it had been, I returned under the sun. It's like, oh, when I passed by before, I was not under the sun. Things were not clear. No. He's saying, I returned and saw under the sun. Things have always been clear. The reason why you haven't seen is not because things are not clear. There are some other reasons why you can't see. And we'll get into them in a minute. I returned is not we returned. You need to write that down. I returned is not we returned. I returned is you alone. Not with your friends. Perhaps when you pass by this place of consideration, you were in company. And company can keep you from seeing things which are clear. 
It's you this time. I returned. It's not we returned. I returned. All right. I need you to say that to somebody next to you. Say, I returned. Is not we returned. You can even say it to your wife. You can say it to your husband. Because sometimes you've got to reconsider by yourself. And then tell your partner what God has made clear to you. What because the two of you, you were in love and you are one and so on. You couldn't allow each other to see the things that you're supposed to see. And no one could say to the other, no, 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 no. We're not going in that direction. You know, I'm actually an introvert (laughs) who pretends very well to be an extrovert. And the strangest thing is I'm married to an introvert. So we love each other's company. But it's very difficult for us to kind of break out. It is, seriously. Is that right, honey? It's not like we don't like people. No. We just love being alone. Right? But here's the strange thing. Some people who love being alone can also be afraid of being lonely. Okay? So you love being alone, but you want to feel as if there are people in your life. Right? And, and if you don't feel that, then you, you kind of like look for company. And sometimes the company that you look for is not the right one. You're trying to address the feeling of being lonely. So you end up in company that you shouldn't be in. Right? And that makes it difficult sometimes for you to return. To reconsider certain things because you've got people around you. And you are worried that if you make this serious decision about your life, you're going to lose friends. Mm. You need to return even if your friends don't. You need to reconsider certain things even if they don't. Because sometimes all this company that you have is, is just entanglements. These relational entanglements. But don't forget that friends won't always help you escape the consequences of bad decisions. They won't. Yeah, today I'm I'm trying to be disciplined, Pastor. I'm trying to stick to my notes. None of that jumping up and down necessarily, but if you're taking notes, Please write this down. No accountability group can make the fundamental decision to redirect your life that God meant to only be made by you. No church, no life group, none of that. The person who needs to make that fundamental decision to redirect your your life is you. 
Story time. We were busy ministering to the homeless in Charlotte. And people got excited about our ministry. A businessman came to us and said, hey, I've got three houses because I had cast this vision. Which is something that I love doing. Casting vision. I cast this vision of a ministry called Hope Happens. We can't just be preaching to the homeless. Uh, we need to do something to make their hope happen. Because our assumption was that their hope was to be in a home. That's what every normal person wants. So hope happens and this businessman donated three houses. Says you can put your people in there. In these houses. We were so excited. We jumped up and down that Sunday morning when we announced this news to the church. Things were moving. We had some homeless people that were putting through a program we would actually feed them in the morning at Hope Cafe. We would then put them through a 12-week discipleship program. And then we would select the ones who had the most promise to put in Hope Housing. So we did. We had our first cohort. And we put them in Hope Housing. So at that time, we were using a a building uptown on 11th Street. And we're so excited. But that place was very close to the homeless shelter. So sometimes we would find people sleeping uh, on the loading dock of the, the building that we were using. you know. And it was quite, uh, quite a sight sometimes. So one day I'm driving from somewhere at night. I'm driving past the building. And I just happen to look on the dock. And who is that person that I see sleeping on the dock? One of the guys that we had put in Hope Housing. I don't even remember. Was it even a week later? It wasn't even a week later. I turned around. I said, no, I, I, no, no, that can't be. I drove and came back and said, hey, what's going on? Why are you here? She said, oh, well, it just didn't feel right. He left the house. A free house. He says he just didn't feel right. No, not, not that there, was, there were any requirements from the program. Oh, no, 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 no. He just didn't feel right being in the house. I will come back to this later. Point number three or number four or number five. I don't even know what number it is now. I want you to write this down. Don't return and see when it's too late. Don't return and see when it's too late. Another story time. My wife and I brought some kids from South Africa who were musically very talented. You guys met them at the crusade that we had in Rock Hill. Extremely talented young people. Loved the Lord too. And we were like, I met them uh, during one of the conferences in in Zimbabwe when we went together. That's when I met them for the first time and God put it on my heart to bring these young people from South Africa here. So that we could work on their gift and so on and develop them and everything. So they were excited to come. The moment they landed here, all they were thinking about was home. 
I remember at one time they went to visit New York. They came back from New York and they said, ah, New York, what is New York? Johannesburg. That's the place. In the meantime, they lived in the township. And one of them, her, mo her mother was a maid. And so we're trying to convince these young people, hey, stay here because we actually had a process where they could then become permanent residents and they could actually work here and support their families at home. Oh, no, no. You know, after two years, we're like, you know what? We, we're not having this. You want to go back? Go back. Bought them tickets, they went back home. Guess who has been harassing us for the past 15 years, me and my wife? Can you do something for us to come? No, no, it's too late. I have moved on to other things. I cannot help you now. It's too late. Time and chance happen to all. But you have to recognize when time and chance happens. And you have to recognize, return quickly. They needed to return when they were still here. Don't return and see when it's too late. Like those young people from South Africa. Like the people who are now saying to me, who I was telling, buy houses in Optimist Park. Now they come to me, oh, Pastor Manika, we know you have a lot of contacts and stuff. Like, no, I don't have any contacts anymore. <laughs> because contacts are contextual. At the time when God was telling me to preach that message, there were people that he had lined up to help those who recognized that time and chance happened to them all. I don't think you heard that. At the time when someone comes and preaches a message which is prophetic for you, you must know that at the same time, God has actually prepared people to help you actually accomplish what this word is telling you to do. If you return later, those people won't be there. Amen. Amen. Are we together? All right, let me see. I'm, you know, let me try to discipline myself here and go through this. Uh, so you missed it before, now you see. Huh? Now you see under the sun. Huh? You missed it before, now you see. Hmm? What made you miss it before? There are some people, please listen to this one, write it down. Because this one, this one is... Is something that God gave me and I, I, was, I was so excited because there were some things that I was dealing with with some people. And I said, Lord, what is it? I, how, how do I say this in the most concise way so they understand? So the Lord gave me this sentence. So you missed it before because you were too intoxicated by the social group angst and culture that defines you. We're too intoxicated. So millennials, for instance, are too intoxicated with being millennials to see certain things. You can try and talk to them about some things. They will, I'm telling you, they will kill you. They will defend being millennials with everything that they have. It's not just them. People in church... There are certain things that they're intoxicated with, and if you try to tell them something else, they, they will say you are now a heathen. So, these are some of the things that cause people to fail to see. When you are too intoxicated by 
the angst, the anxieties, the, the things that kind of define you as a people. Oh, this is what millennials are like, right? I have some news for you. You are more than a product of socialization. You were created, not socialized. All right. You were created, made in the image of God, given incredible capacity. I love being, you know, underestimated because I'm black. Oh, you can laugh. Come on, guys. Don't, don't be so sensitive. I love people who underestimate me because I'm black. Because they don't know the work God that I worship. Amen. I love people who underestimate me because I'm not 40 anymore. Because they don't know what God can do with an old man. I love being underestimated. Because I have an accent. I'm from Zimbabwe. Because God can do incredible things with anybody. Amen. And I love it because, man, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I know. You may think you know what I know. You don't. Amen. Same applies to me concerning you. I love people who underestimate me. At one time, I'd cast a vision uh, for us to start a scholarship program for kids in the Charlotte area. And the reason why I cast that vision is because I was up. God woke me up in the middle of the night and I started watching uh, Charlie Rose. It's his program uh, on PBS. I don't remember what it was called. He had, and he was interviewing a billionaire called Ted Forstman. And this billionaire had just set aside him and his friends $50 million to provide money for inner city kids to attend private schools. At that time, we were in the middle of envisioning Brookstone School, which we started many years ago. And, and we're thinking, oh, how, how are we going to fund it? And then the Lord woke me up and showed me Ted Forsman being interviewed by Charlie Rose. And he has set aside $50 million. And I said, you know what? Instead of raising money for the school, we need to raise money. We need to get this money. So I woke up in the morning and I started writing a project proposal to the Forsman Foundation. Hey, you're looking for cities to partner with in, in, in North Carolina. Uh, we, we, uh, we, I think we qualify. I drafted this thing, presented it to some people. These people that I presented it read it. They said, oh, no, this is great. Well, let's give it to somebody to draft it properly. And the person that they gave it to draft it properly looked at it and then called me uh, and said, I don't know what they want me to do. This is perfect. We ended up going to Texas, to Houston, to a meeting in Houston, and we got $3 million. I mean, that, it wasn't me. It's God. Absolutely. I love it when people underestimate me, particularly when I'm on a God assignment. You can underestimate me when I'm doing human stuff. But when God tells me something, when you underestimate me, you're underestimating God. 
You are more than a product of socialization. You were created, not socialized. Uh, the other thing that keeps us from seeing is because we are preoccupied with fighting the wrong battles. Like the rebellious children who we raise in the Lord and everything that they are is because of God. And then they go on this rebellious fight to kind of try to prove that God doesn't exist. So they don't see certain things. I have some encouragement for some of you who are going through that with your own children. The father in Luke 15, 17 didn't stop him from going on this trip. The prodigal son, he let him go. I tell my kids all the time, my wife and I have done everything to give you a foundation. You are not going to make me feel like I didn't do the right thing because of the decisions that you make. That's your problem, not mine. I did the right thing. If you make a different choice, that's your problem. It's not me. Me, as for me and my wife, not as for me and my whole house, as for me and my wife, we are going to enjoy ourselves. Because we did the right thing. Amen. So some people are so preoccupied with fighting the wrong battles, and then you end up joining them, being drawn in. No, I am not going to be drawn into. If any of my kids want to backslide, that's between them and God. I did the right thing. Uh, I might leave some of these things out. Yeah. Uh, you want me to go on a little bit? Are you sure? So I was listening to a radio program the other day, and there were, this guy was interviewing um, a psychologist, and he said something that really blew me my mind. He said, you know, our minds are very strange things. Uh, and he used this example. He said, if you buy a car today, all of a sudden you will start seeing cars which are like the, the same on the road. Is that true? And I was like, my goodness, I thought it was just me. This, this is strange. I thought, you know, the moment I bought my, car, my wife this car, everybody decided that they were going to buy the same car. <laughs> the objective reality is that that didn't happen. I just didn't have a reference point. Right? Now, Jesus would preach in parables. He would paint pictures. And those pictures are supposed to be permanently printed in our minds. So that we can see certain things that we're not able to see before. Because now we have a reference point. The problem is we're always coming for a new word, but the last one is not printed in our mind. So we can't see certain things. There are some truths that you just have to repeat to yourself until they are so established and you can say, this is who I am and I don't do this and I don't do that. If you don't have that in your life, there are certain things that you're not going to see. Amen. So the other reason is because life reduces us sometimes to less than our best self uh, and that is the perspective from which we see things. So, uh, if you look at Luke 15, 17, can you put Luke 15, 17 up there? The story of the prodigal son, after he had spent everything, it says, but when he came to himself, well, who was he before? Right? 
but when he came to himself. So he wasn't himself before, right? Is that right? So he, when he went to his father, he wasn't himself. But he thought he was himself. He was a millennial. Right? Does that make sense? Well, well, the Bible says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? That had always been the case. His father's hired servants always had bread enough. That was not a new thing. Right? But, but now that he has come to himself, he sees things that he should have seen before. Right? So sometimes life reduces us to something less. We're socialized. To something less than what we created to be. And we start seeing things from the perspective of our socialization. Kind of like a nomad, right? Who lives in a place and, and all they can see is life is above the surface of the earth and I've got to find grazing for my cows. But never recognizes that there is treasure in the bowels of the earth. Until somebody else comes and prospects and says, oh, there's gold right here. So a lot of times we are socialized and we become less. Okay, I'm almost done, guys. Whew. You cannot return until you return. So let me show you what I'm saying. And please write that down too. You cannot return until you return. The prodigal son came to himself first, right? Before arising and returning to the father. So he had to think it before he did it. Conviction precedes action. So he had to return in his mind because as a man what thinketh, so is he. He had to come back to himself in order to come back to his father. So you can't return. See, we had returned for this homeless guy. We had returned for him. We were like, oh yeah, man. I mean, we're going to give him a house. And he's going to be good. He hadn't returned. There was no conviction. You, you know, he, he, was, he, he was still homeless in his mind. That's what he deserved. It didn't feel right because in his mind, he was a homeless man. That's what socialization had reduced him to. He found company among the homeless and the idea that he would actually be in a home and do something you know, productive for his children. He even had children. He was a grandfather. So he needed to return in order to return. We can preach all we want to people. But if that doesn't translate to conviction, we are in trouble. For as he thinketh in his heart, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. All right, I think this is my last two points. So return to see under the sun the possibilities you have been blind to, the comparative advantage you did not think you had, and to understand that time and chance happen to all. There are some worldly examples that can kind of show you Eminem, the white kid, who conquered the world of rap. Rap, which is supposed to be an expression of black swag. 
but he never asked any black man, can I rap? Just did it anyway. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, the black man who became one of the most famous rock stars of all time. Larry Bird was a beast in a black man's game. And Neil deGrasse Tyson is an oddity to some as a black astrophysicist. Doesn't make sense. But who says it doesn't make sense? You do. They, they don't believe that. If I have a gift, I will work it. My blackness notwithstanding. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I'm a white man and all my friends can't dance, if I can dance, I will dance. First Samuel 30, verse 6 through 8. All right, let's rush through this. <laughs> Pastor Jim got it after the fact. <laughs> uh, which, which scripture did I give you? That's not the correct one. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. David encouraged himself in the Lord. What, what is that scripture? I wrote the wrong reference here. Anyway, and David was greatly dist- distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. If you can find that scripture, I put the wrong reference. Because the soul of all the people was grieved at every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When you return, because there are some of you who are discouraged. When you return, you can encourage yourself in the Lord. When you return, when you all of a sudden start remembering the things that God said to you in your brokenness then, if you just remember, you can encourage yourself in the Lord. David was distressed, but remember this as we close. Being distressed is a feeling. Encouraging yourself in the Lord is a decision. All right. All right. Being distressed is a feeling. Encouraging yourself in the Lord is a decision. So what then should happen? Decisions should prevail over feelings. That's our message for today. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.